Our next reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, just before what Beverly read, chapter 1, beginning with the first verse. And before I begin, I will implore you to stay with me. An account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. Now David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel, and Salathiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Ockham, and Ockham the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Methan, Methan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, after all of that, I have to wonder what your favorite Christmas story is. I suspect that some of you are already thinking of a treasured book or a favorite movie, a story that's known by many. And I imagine that others of you remember something that happened at a family gathering or while you were walking down the street, a story known by only a few. I am willing to bet that not one of you would previously have called to mind a long list of ancient names hard to pronounce and harder to remember, hardly a story at all, or so it seems. One of my favorite Christmas stories is unique to my family. A number of years ago, I was driving from Kansas City to Detroit on Christmas Day. I made it just past Chicago before the blizzard stopped me. And surrendering to the inevitable, I took the next exit advertising a hotel. I parked the car and I looked at Riley, my trusty furry sidekick of many years. Now, at this point in the evening, I was still willing to be honest. I walked into the lobby and I asked for a room. I'm not going to make it home tonight, I said. It's just me and my dog. Sorry, they said. No dogs. So at the next hotel, I decided that Jesus would understand if I didn't tell the whole truth. 
I paid for a room, accidentally forgetting to mention my four-legged roommate, and attempted to sneak him in a side entrance. Now, that probably would have been an effective, if not somewhat morally questionable plan, had the weather outside not meant that they locked every door but the front. I was left to confess, I have a dog with me. It's a blizzard. It's not safe to drive. Can he please come inside? I'm sorry, they said. No dogs. I just want to check, I said, that on Christmas Day, you are turning away a young woman who is desperately searching for a place to spend the night. You are saying, perhaps, that there is no room at the inn. My theological guilt trip was lost on them. They told me we could sleep in the parking lot. The third try was a charm, so to speak. We were the only Christmas residents of a run-down, extended-stay motel. My dog and I split some leftover cookies for dinner, and I fell asleep to the bright lights of a snowplow working overtime in the parking lot. Now, I thought that this was good news until the next morning when I discovered that the snowplow had packed a good three feet of snow all around my car. I went to the front desk and asked for help, and they handed me a shovel. Eventually, long after I intended, I made it home to Detroit where my family was waiting for me. Now, I thought I had had a rough 24 hours, but it turns out that my nieces and my nephew had it harder. At the tender ages of three, six, and eight years old, they had been prohibited from opening a single present until I arrived. I thanked them all for waiting, and my nephew Logan, whose head was already buried in a gift bag, declared, it was not our idea, we did not want to wait, but Daddy said it's not Christmas until everyone is home. It's not Christmas until everyone is home. I think that's the story that Matthew means to tell us with his long recitation of names. He's getting at something so much more important than the facts. And he has to be because if you were to research his work, you would discover his facts are terribly wrong, sometimes almost humorously so. Take Rahab just for one example. Matthew tells us that Rahab and Salmon were the parents of Boaz, which would be more than a little difficult given that Rahab and Salmon were separated by over 200 years. Now any good genealogist, any mediocre genealogist, will tell you that accuracy and details matter. So if Matthew's only objective is to connect Jesus all the way back to Abraham, he'd be standing on awfully shaky ground. Because if you are dealing exclusively in facts, once one fact falls, you are out of luck and out of business. So if Matthew is wholly unconcerned with these sort of factual issues, what on earth is it he wants us to hear? Maybe that it's not Christmas until everyone is home. You see, he begins with Genesis, 
with Abraham, the patriarch of Israel. Abraham was the father of Isaac. And we can't hear about Abraham without hearing God promise, I will make your offspring as many as there are stars in the sky. And we can't hear about Isaac without hearing God say, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. We hear that Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and we can't hear about Ruth without hearing, Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. We hear that Manasseh is the father of Amos, and we can't hear about Amos without hearing him declare, Let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. All of which is to say, it's the whole story. In 16 verses, Matthew reminds us of God's entire history with God's people, of every promise made and every promise kept, of every promise that has held us together and is holding us still. Now, he makes some interesting choices, to be sure. Noah... Noah, builder of the ark, recipient of the rainbow covenant, Noah doesn't make the cut, but Nashon does. Do you remember Nashon? Me neither. But maybe you do remember the five women who are included, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and finally Mary. These women all have their own individual stories, but together... They tell Matthew's larger story in a very unique way. They tell us that not only are God's promises faithful and true, but God's promises are big enough for everyone. You see, Matthew, more than any of the others, writes a gospel for the Gentiles. That's a fancier way of saying he writes for those people who are not Jewish, which is another way of saying he writes for people who may be, in some circles, considered to be outsiders. People who haven't found their place, who aren't sure if or where they belong, or worse, people who have been told they don't belong. Because up until Mary, those four women that are mentioned, they are all Gentiles. They are individuals, according to that time, not of the right lineage or heritage or upbringing. All individuals looked down upon, maybe for their past, maybe for their attitude, maybe for their assertiveness or their skin color, maybe because they do things differently, or maybe because they are just so darn persistent But in any case, if anyone other than Matthew had written this genealogy, they well may not have been included. In naming them, Matthew draws attention to their otherness, their outsiderness, and it is no accident or oversight. Matthew takes the story of God's history and interrupts it with these women who in this particular instance do what the men cannot. Think about it this way. Jesus was Jewish, and for that Jewish line to be preserved, all of the men in the genealogy had to be Jewish. It doesn't work any other way. They had to be Jewish. The women are the way that 
The Gentiles, or the outsiders, are explicitly welcomed into the story, too. They are the ones who make the story big enough for everyone. By virtue of being who they are, by virtue of being exactly who God created them to be, they make the Christmas story one that embraces you, whoever you are. Whether you have been told that you are not good enough or that your lifestyle is unpleasing, if you have been told that your faith is lacking or your sin is insurmountable or your choices are unacceptable, if you have ever been told that you come from the wrong place or live in the wrong neighborhood, if you have ever felt too broken or been told you are too broken, Matthew's Christmas story is for you. And in fact, if I understand it, I think that Matthew is saying that not only is the Christmas story for you, he's also saying that the Christmas story will be incomplete without you. Because later in his gospel, he tells the story of the centurion and his servant and the Canaanite woman and her daughter, again, all Gentiles, all outsiders, all explicitly praised by Jesus for their faith. He includes the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it is in his gospel that Jesus says, Come to me, come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. So of course, in listing out this story, of course Matthew includes Isaac, who knew his father's near betrayal, and Jacob, who grieved the loss of his youngest son, and Tamar, who watched her city get ransacked. He includes Ruth, a widow, and David, who sang, but who also wept. And he includes Jeconiah, who saw his people deported to Babylon. So I can only assume that if Matthew were writing today, he would include my friend Mark. Mark, the father of Timothy, who saw his 16-year-old son die on Thanksgiving morning after falling from a five-story building. Mark is also a pastor. He knows the story of this night, and he has written poignantly of it in these recent days. When Timothy fell, he said, I did not know how to go on. My family did not know how to go on. We have been numb for weeks. But I am remembering, I am starting to remember what Christmas means. A friend told me what they believe, he said. My friend said that the great mystery of Christmas is that somehow God puts on flesh and God comes to earth and God walks on the very same ground that we do. And so his friend told him, I have become convinced that Christmas means when Timothy fell from five stories up, he fell straight into the arms of God. And any time you are about to fall over from the heartbreak of it all, it will be God's arms that catch you, too. Mark said, those, friends from my, those words from my friend, they are healing me. 
He said, we don't celebrate Christmas because of what we get. We celebrate Christmas because of what we've already been given. A God that is with us always. A God that stays with us always. My friend Mark is right, of course. Christmas is God wrapped up in flesh, finding us, a little baby born to us, sent from the center of God's own heart to make a home among us, right where we are, whoever we are and however we are. And truth be told, Christmas means we don't have to find our way home anymore. Because when Christ is born, home comes right to us. Admittedly, that can be hard to see and remember, especially when the days are difficult. But together, together with Jacob and Judah, with Obed and Jesse, with Rehoboam and Abijah, whoever they are, with Eliakim and Azor, with Joseph and Mary, with Mark and Timothy, with Barbara and Dick and Nancy and Tana, with Joshua and Kevin and Bill and Denise, with all of us together, we can be reminded. And that is why we will light candles at the end of the service this evening, so that candle by candle, the light will spread through this room until it is the only thing we can see. Because in that moment, friends, Christmas will come, and we will all be home. But you don't have to take my word for it. It's the word of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.